Good morning. I am excited to be here today. We have a lot of great things going on this morning. I saw, sure, I'm sure you heard from the announcements. I think Mike is going to talk about it in a little bit. But we have three scriptures we're going to read today, and we're going to do something a little different. So this half of the room, so these two sections, please look up Matthew 19, 4 through 6 in the Bibles that are in front of you under the chairs or underneath you. Um, and then this half, please look up Mark 10, 6 through 9. Mark 10, 6 through 9. So these passages are the same telling of the same story or the same telling of the same words, but by different people, one from Matthew and one from Mark. So what's going to happen is uh, this side of the room and myself are going to read the Matthew verse, and then this side of the room and myself are going to read the Mark verse. But while we're reading the Matthew verse, you guys are going to read along in your Mark verse to kind of see where the similarities align. And then this half, when we read, you guys are going to do the same thing. So, if you're at your certain passage, say, I'm there. If you're not, say, wait. Wait. Okay, definitely. So, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and then Mark 10, 6 through 9. And then the Matthew uh, verses are on 844, and the Mark verses are on 868, if you haven't turned there yet. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not, say, wait. All right, let's read the Matthew. So this side of the room, let's read Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. All right, great. So let's do the Mark verses now. So Mark 10, 6 through 9. And it says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Awesome. Our third verse, our third piece of scripture is going to be coming from Romans. So I ask that you stay in your Bible and kind of reflect on what is said here as I read Romans 1, 26 through 27. And Paul writes in here, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their woman exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Let us reflect on the word and let us join our hearts in prayer. God, today as we come to this place and we're talking, continuing our series about all the taboos of the church that we don't want to talk about, Most of us in here are not blind or not so separated from the world that we don't understand all the differences in this world. We don't understand, we understand the disagreements, the opinions and the convictions of so many people just in this congregation, if not the whole world. But God, today, let us not see our opinions or our own convictions. Let us not even see Pastor Mike's opinions or convictions. Let us see your truth. Your truth 
that is spoken in your word, in your truth that was spoken by Jesus Christ, your son. God, as Pastor Mike is going to speak about, let us not point out the speck in others' eyes without looking in the log in our own. So with that, we ask the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us today and capture our hearts. Humble ourselves so that we can be ready to receive your word and humble Pastor Mike so he can speak your word and your truth. We're going to go into a time of silent prayer that I ask everyone in this room, just ask the Holy Spirit into your heart and that you can prepare yourself for the receiving of the word. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this room, and we ask that you capture our hearts so we are fully yours, and we submit to you. God, you are ours, and we are yours. We do all these things in your glory. Amen. Just uh, one preparatory note before I go to uh, the sermon this morning. Um, we have a long-term relationship now with RTS Ministries in uh, Las Cajabas, Haiti. And after worship at 11.30 out here, we'll be, sh we'll be serving a Haitian meal, kind of the way the kids, the meal the kids get when we're there serving. You'll probably get a little bit more than the kids get because usually the kids get like about a half a cup of rice and a few beans, a little uh, salad. And then they get these little tiny pieces of chicken. They're really no longer than that, like a drumstick cut in half. One of the things I always notice and really just haunts me about being down there with the kids is it's the one meal a day they get and we never get the bones back because there's so much protein in that bone marrow and stuff like that their parents have told them just eat it so they do um, so I hope that you'll come and help and see our Haiti mission uh, we have a little bit easier most of us even had breakfast or something this morning but stick around for a while I know they're going to give a good program a little brief program about what we're about um, if you're new at Marion Methodist, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Mike. Um, we have been, as Kelsey mentioned, uh, preaching a series of sermons called Taboo in the Temple. And in the Taboo in the Temple series, what we've been attempting to do and, and endeavoring to do is to get right into your yard. You know, to come into the things that we talk about and that we think about every every day and that lots of differences and dissension maybe in our culture about some of these things. Uh, so today, sex. Ever thought about it? If you said no, you're not telling the truth. One of my friends follows us on the internet and listens to my talks and our talks and stuff on the internet. And he says, are you excited to talk about sex this weekend? I'm like, no. That's kind of close to all of us. I said, however, Ryan, would you like to be the guest preacher at Mary Methodist today? I'll go to Muscatine. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> so you get the old man. Here we go. Scriptures laid out. Some of the scriptures Kelsey read 
bunch more. But here's what scriptures say about sex. We have a problem. Underline, circle, highlight, we. We have a problem. Now, I know that we want to talk about everybody else's sex. I know we have an opinion about how other people use their gifts of human sexuality. I know that we have some thoughts about what is good, bad, right. In other words, oh my goodness sake, do we have opinions. I, do you guys have the internet where you live? Have you seen some opinions on there? There is a lot of different thought process out there, but here first today, we need to look at our own yard. We look at, need to look at our own business. We need to get intimate with our own business. So right here in your temple, let's talk about sex. Not from the perspective of the preacher. Kelsey prayed that, I thought, fairly clearly. But rather through the lens of Scripture and through 2,000 years of Christian tradition. It starts like this. The problem is not sex, it's us. The problem is not sex, it's us. We have a problem. Human history has a, a, humanity has a history of perverting all of God's good gifts. God gives us food to eat, and we're like, ah, maybe a little less, he says. God, God gives us bodies to use, and he says, maybe use them a little more. And, and he gives us sex, and he says, golly, maybe you're not using that the way I designed it. We've made sex a selfish act, a personal conquest. That's how it's promoted out there, a thing that's about your personal fulfillment, not about some sort of partnership that we're a part of. Look at how sex is communicated to us in our mass culture. Truly, it seems to say to us that it's the central feature of every relationship. I want to tell you right now, I enjoy the human and holy sexuality that God's given me, and it's important to me, as it is to you. But it's not the central feature. It's not the only feature of my, of my marriage relationship or of my relationship to the church or other people. Is it yours? It has a place, and it's important. But, but we've been told that, 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 that sex should drive all of our decision-making. I mean, think about this. Think about even when you buy groceries. You've seen this commercial, right? Scantily clad little woman, young woman. She's got a strawberry. Oh. I mean, my goodness. I've been to some of your homes. That's not the way you eat strawberries. Right? I mean, goodness sakes, we put everything that we're supposed to buy, we put sexuality with bicycles, clothing, and oh my gosh. Half the men in the room want a Ford F-50 because that girl with the cowboy boots and the one button, two unbuttoned that she shouldn't have unbuttoned, right? I mean, for goodness sake, we, everything that we're told to buy, it's, because, it's, it's not because the truck can carry 30,000 pounds of gumballs or whatever. It's because the girl in the cowboy hat says, you need a truck. Oh, for goodness sake. Sex drives where we want to live. Of course, it has to do with what kind of job we have and the way it's sold to us, even, even our relationships. And at the same time, while all this is being sold to us, we're being told that when you, when you talk about the acts of sexuality, when, you know, the actual doing it part of it, there should be no strings attached to it. That nothing should, 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 should be tied to it at all. So we have a sex problem. We need to understand that. We need to claim that for ourselves. And we've created it. Now, we are not helpless. 
opportunity exists to move forward towards a holy sexuality. And that's primarily what I'm going to talk about. It. Because it's incumbent. Aren't you glad you're visiting today? Aren't you glad you brought your family, Haley? It's like, oh, awesome. Just brought my family for the baptism. And he's talking about this. But it is incumbent upon the church to encourage an understanding of the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching says this, sex is good. You know, if I was in a youth group, we'd repeat that. And then I'd say, and it glorifies God. Sex is good and it glorifies God in the context for which God created it. Sex is good and it glorifies God in the context for which God created it. So I'm going to give you, in regards to holy sexuality, the brief teaching. Now, if I'm talking to a bunch of high school students, this is a two-hour lecture. Maybe some give and take in the middle of it. But I'm just going to give you a brief version, a couple of points. First, sex was created by God. God made our bodies, and if you read the first page of scriptures, he creates our bodies, and then he says, and it's very good. God created us and says, it's very good. He creates us with male parts, with female parts, and pleasures, and says, it's very good. And sex is good. And it's fun. little secret if you don't know this. Most of us got here because of it. Most of us got here because of it. In fact, understand this. That God was not horrified or shocked when our parents consummated their relationship with sex because it created because He created their bodies partially for it. Thus, sex is fun. It's pleasurable. It's wonderful. Because it reflects God's loving goodness who created it as a gift for us to steward and enjoy. To steward and enjoy. So, sex was created by God and sex was created by God with commitment in mind. Don't miss this if you read the pages of the Old and New Testament. It's, it runs all the way through there. It, it's pretty persistent and consistent about that. God created good, clean, fun, blessed sex with marital commitment in mind. The Scripture is absolutely commit, con, convinced of this. It's absolutely con, consistent in that. And romance and God's gift of sexuality are highly recommended. Highly recommended. Now, look what it says in 1 Corinthians. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Hebrews 12. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. When you read the scriptures, you will find that biblical sex comes with titles like they were joined. The two became one, kind of like a grafting concept. They gave themselves to each other. This is how the Bible records sex. See, the, the perspective of God regarding sex is one of selfless love that allows you to explore one another and cherish another person until your death. We're to pursue giving pleasure to a lifelong partner because this is where a truly happy and fulfilling sex life happens. And holy sex is shame and coercion free. Same and Sex is shame and coercion free. Many people experience shame in regards to sex. It's just true. And to keep from hurting ourselves, sexual desires and activities should be placed under God's control. Paul writes in Thessalonians, 
God wants you to be holy and pure, to keep clear of all sexual sins so that each of you will marry in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion. Sexual sin is destructive. It's always been destructive, even when the effects of it are not immediately apparent. In the scriptures in Corinthians, it says, That is why I say to run from sexual sin. No other sin affects the body as this one does. When you sin, this sin, it's against your own body. I will tell you this. In a lifetime of working with youth, and in several years working on a college campus with with young men and women, I saw nothing that was bigger and more debilitating for some of them than sexual scars. Some of the scars they had from their past sex life. Some of, the, some of the scars they had because at one point or another they were devastated because they had inappropriately given themselves to another person and then that person completely used them or, or tossed them away or left them out by themselves. Others, there and now, inappropriately had taken from someone what was not theirs to take. Had encroached upon another's purity, their, their own life, and they felt very ashamed. See, when we talk about about when we talk about holy sexuality, shame and coercion should not be part of it. I mean, I'm not even going to take the time because we know that's so wrong. Here, you know, 50,000 American girls are in sex trafficking every year, are coerced into that. We know that's wrong, and I certainly hope and would upbraid any of you that were involved in any of that. We understand that that's wrong. I'm talking about in the free sentient part of expressing our sexuality. We should never have any coercion or, or, or shame. Sex or sexual acts should not be done coercively in wrong thinking. When you're involved in this, and especially when I talk to you young people, the other person needs to be first. The other person needs to be thought of first before you engage on that so you don't harm someone through one of God's good gifts. Fourth. The standard of beauty in holy sexuality is your spouse. The problem isn't your partner. It's you. Oh, sure. Maybe you put on 25 pounds since you got married. Maybe she is tired all the time. But still, they are to be the object of your beauty. When you see them, you're supposed to see the beauty that drew you to them in the beginning. The problem isn't with your partner, it's with you. Again, if we were with high school students, I'd say repeat after me. The problem is not with your partner, it's with you. When we, when we pervert sex, then we start looking around. Then we start looking down the, down the hall at our office and said, well, who's in a similar unfulfilled situation that maybe they'll have some time for me? Or we start talking to someone, and eventually we know we're becoming closer to them then we are the one that we've chosen for our lives. And you're on a slippery slope, friends. You wouldn't be the first one that happened to. But when we start looking around, especially when we look at those that are near to us, we got a problem. And, and I will add this, because you all live in 2018, like Kelsey said, we know what's going on. Sometimes when we start looking beyond our spouse as the standard of beauty, we start looking onto the screens that we carry around in our pockets or our iPads or, or our computers or, or our big 70-inch TVs in our homes. 40 million Americans, there's only 300 million of us, 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites, spend on average about seven minutes a day. 
I'm giving you statistics from Pew Research and, and from uh, uh, Gannett, news, Garnett, Gannett newspapers. 56% of American divorces involve one person having some sort of obsessive interest in porn. They're looking somewhere else for beauty. And depending on which study you, you look at, I really want to talk to you guys and gals. Somewhere between 65 and 68% of American men that go to church, you know, here, are looking at porn. And about a third of the women are. That's not setting the standard of beauty in your spouse. You know that great theologian, Roseanne Barr. You've heard of her, right? On the first iteration of her television show, which I hardly ever, ever read, so I probably caught this at Nick at Night or something one night. Her boy DJ, he's just a, you know, this size back then. He'd gotten a hold of a magazine, you know, the magazines that were probably out in the 80s or whenever they were, Penthouse or Playboy or something like that. And I thought what she said was some of the better teaching about sexuality that I ever heard, and I hate to credit that to Roseanne Barr, so I'm going to credit it to some guy that wrote this for her. But what she said on television was this, DJ, when you look at those pictures, you need to understand they don't look back at you. They are not looking back at you. So if you're viewing into somebody on your screen or you're viewing into somebody somewhere else that's not your spouse, they ain't looking back at you. And if they are, you're wrong. The Summer Games University, every year, or at least most years, we have a guy talk and a girl talk. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but high school and middle school kids are kind of obsessed with sex. We didn't need to teach them that. They came to it alone. But when we talk to them, we talk about this. And what we say is, make yourself. Make yourself. I don't talk about the physical. Some of that we can do stuff about. Some of this we can't. But make yourself what he or she wants. Make, make yourself the object of beauty. And let that be the standard in your life. Now, I'm going to turn the page. Let's talk for a minute about sexuality outside the biblical standards. By untethering sex from marriage, we've enabled the normalization of hardcore pornography, one-night stands, the explosion of STDs, and enabled 60 million American abortions and seen an epidemic of divorces. By severing gender identity from the biblical concept of sexuality, we're reaping the psychological and social, cultural and political whirlwind of concerns unseen in previous generations. The American Association of College Counselors reported that in the past four years, so we're not talking about a generation, we're talking in the past four years, their counseling load on average, which means some higher, some lower, on average has gone up 60%. And the majority of the counseling that they're doing on campus has to do with men and women, 18 to 23-year-olds, 17 to 23-year-olds, typically on college campuses, that are distraught, depressed, anxious, many even dealing, wondering about suicidal thoughts because of issues around sex. Because we've untethered it. We have a problem. And I want to tell you, even though you might not have come to hear about that, because you probably heard, came to hear the old pre preacher blast away about something else, 
Most of the sex problems we have in this room and most of the problems we have in the church and most of the sex problems we have in America are heterosexual problems. You understand that, right? So before I get any farther, you need to understand that and you can't back away from the mirror if that's you. Now let's talk about marriage beyond the Bible. Wherever marriage is, me is mentioned in the Bible, in Scripture, it's between a man and a woman. That is just the way it is. Biblically speaking, marriage is a lifetime union of a man and a woman for primarily for the purpose of building and providing a stable family environment for children. This understanding, though, is not simply a biblical understanding. Please get this. Beyond the Bible, which I think Christians should always do, we should understand the Bible and then see the world around us, see what's happened. Beyond the Bible, the universal understanding of marriage in every civilization in world history is between a man and a woman. This is not political. This is not my thought process about this. This is simply history. This is historical. Now, the social sciences, of which I have a degree in, while always reluctant to speak negatively about any behavior, we like to let people kind of do what they want and then heal them from it. That's what we social scientists do. But there is empirical evidence. Modern psychology, talking about the American psychiatric journal, Modern Psychology makes the consistent case that men and women are emotionally designed for each other, emotionally designed for each other, and to complement one another. Psychologists complain or contend that a union between a man and a woman in which both spouses, who serve as good gender models, good gender role models, not just being one, but being a good gender role model, are the healthiest environment in which to raise a well-adjusted child. Because psychology always argues nature versus nurture in most things. They understand that the natural purpose of intercourse is procreation. Obviously, only opposite genders can fulfill that particular purpose. Now, all that said, all that you know. But here's where it comes to us. Modern Christians are in a difficult spot, right? We're in a tough spot because sexual mores have changed in our culture without a clear or new revelation for the Lord. So we need to decide how do we progress. People that we are and people that we know, love and cherish are in committed same-sex relationships. Some of you are here today some of you are here representing people that you know and love that are committed in same-sex relationships. That's part of our world today. So what influences our Christian thinking? First, the basic Christian equalizer is that all humans are simultaneously sinful and loved. See, so you are being loved and being sinful at the same time. That's the basic Christian equalizer. It's always been that way. That is the human condition. And people are more than their sexuality. That, that's probably where I should get an amen. You know, people are more than their sexuality. We, we are. So what is a healthy Christian response in a time of tension re regarding sexual ex expression? I'm just going to give you five things, I think. First, take stock of your own sin. You know, 
there's this time where people come to Jesus and they say, you know, um, what about their sin? And Jesus says, you know, before you consider the speck that's in someone else's eye, why don't you yank the log out that's in your eye? Why don't you look real closely at the man or woman in the mirror? That's the place you should start. And our knees should bend. And then with broken and repentant hearts, we should go to the altar of God next and speak our confession. So take stock of your own sin first. Second, regard every single person for what they are to God. A person of infinite value and worth. No one is more valued or worth more to God because their understanding of sexuality jives with scriptures, with history, or psychology. And no one is of any less value for any reason. Regard every person for what they are to God. Because that's what matters. Third, love unconditionally. Oh, for goodness sake. Christians are to love, to welcome, to invite, and include. We can't have anybody in here that's not a sinner. You know, if we're looking for a church of perfect people, we've got the wrong address. You don't have per perfect leaders. You don't have a sin-free band. We don't even have sin-free guests here today. But Christians are to welcome everyone. And by the way, I'll go to the end of the earth for this one. Everyone is welcome in the house of God. Can you imagine Jesus stopping anybody from coming in here? I cannot. We love unconditionally, period. Fourth, go ahead and take judgment off your mental and spiritual table. Just take that away. You know, Amy came up this morning and testified to one of her favorite Bible verses. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is non-judgmental living. And Romans 2, now, we read Romans 1, and you have to understand, I have enough experience in the, the, the debate over human sexuality. And by the way, human sexuality is always a mess. I, if you've read the Bible, page 1 on, it's always a mess, Right? Now, holy sexuality is what we need to search for. So, so I want to I claim this because I use these very infrequently. Romans 1, 26 through 27 is what's called in the community a clobber verses. There's eight of them in Scripture that's called a clobber verse because they're where God or the Word of God directly speaks uh, against uh, homosexuality or, or some iteration thereof that is different from man and woman. And, and it does so with, with clarity and force. I say that to lead to this. In the very next chapter, this is how Paul starts that. After those verses, he says this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself. Bang. Boomerang. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You say, well, my sin's not that sin. No, but you're not clean. You got something else. You got something else you're putting between you and God. So take judgment right off your spiritual table. 
And if you err, err on the side of grace. We're all sinners. Okay? Now here's a sentence I've seen and heard hundreds if not more Christians say. Well, I'm a sinner, but take the butts out. I'm a sinner. And everybody that knows you says, I know. Me too. But what we tend to say is, I'm a sinner, but theirs is so much worse than mine. And theirs is, <laughs> that's not God's perspective. Because once you say, I'm a sinner, God's like, I know. I'm working with you on that. But take the butts out. If you're going to err, err on the side of grace. Because apart from God's grace, we pervert every single thing. Every single one of God's gift, including sex. So, be graceful to others. We're not all going to agree on most things. So in regards to sex, offer grace. And last, and we'll get to a couple other things we have to go before we go home. Be authentic, even in disagreement. Don't whitewash things. Don't be who you're not. Be authentic. In my life, acceptance without agreement must be navigated in kindness. Let me help you understand this. Because I'm a Christian pastor. I am judged more harshly on these things, according to scriptures, than others if I teach the wrong things. So it has been my longstanding and understanding that, that this concern has skin on it. These are people we love. So I have to say, I have to say that everyone's of infinite value and worth and I can accept who you are and your personhood, but I do not have to agree with your behavior. A lot of you don't agree with some of my behaviors and I don't, and I'm just not talking about sex, but we have to understand that, that people are smart and people are thoughtful and some of this breaks people's hearts. And so if we're inauthentic, if we're not being fair with people, if we're talking behind each other's back or trying to harm each other, we're doing the wrong thing. But we can understand because people, and, and I've found this over and over again. Before we moved out here, we had a couple of kids in our congregation that attended really frequently, differently each week. They were transgendered kids. But at the 745 service, they came up and sat by me. Now, that, that always surprised me, but here's what I took from that. The witness and evidence that we have is that we need to extend grace. And even though Natalie or, or Nathan, depending on what day it was, knew that I didn't agree with his lifestyle, he knew that I accepted him as a child of infinite value and worth with God. And I, I haven't done a lot of anecdotal evidence in here because I don't think this is helpful. But we need to understand and we need to be authentic because if, if you try to whitewash that you disagree with someone, you're going to lose them. See, because I think, secondly, that Christian communities can endure great tension when Christians are authentic with each other. You have to transcend it. You have to transcend some of the temptation to not be honest. See, I think we can, I think we can transcend, I think we can survive dissonance when we work in truth. 
I believe the Christian community will endure this. I don't think God's the least bit shocked that we're having these conversations. And I think what God is hoping for all of us is that we'll be honest with each other and loving and kind. And that's where I'll end. We've got to trust and lean into God for the final answers. I don't have any clear new revelation for God from God. I just have to trust God that what he said in his scriptures is what I'm supposed to lean into. I have to trust God that what he said in his scriptures is not only to disagree with one thing, but to lean into love, to lean into caring, to lean into him for all the answers. And I believe that that's the key for you as well. So brothers and sisters, do I want to talk about this in the temple? No. But do we need to? Yeah. Because it's such a big part of our culture and our life. And I led you here and leaned into the last thing of saying, let's lean into God. So let's just take a minute. If you would, would you let your hearts join mine? Uh, let's lean into God. Let's take a minute in prayer. So God, in the quietness and calmness of this place, we know that we're surrounded by trouble and some tension. There are people on the right and the left, the front and the back that come at this idea of holy sexuality well maybe from as many perspectives as there are perspectives gathered here so we pray Lord without apology that you might grant us your discernment in these troubling times that you might give us the wisdom to see what your truth leads us to do help us to lean into you God for every single answer and all the questions and concerns of our lives and let us respond to every single person that you put in front of us with the love that you've granted us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.